I want to get into the right to the message today, if it's okay, we're continuing our conversation. We're going to conclude this conversation next week as we talk about uh, this open table concept. And uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Luke, chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen uh, and w- as we get there. But um, we opened this subject last weekend. And for those of you at the West Campus, you were, you were out eating a barbecue with no beans. But uh, you were out anyhow with the baptism. And so I want to kind of recap that. And for those of you that may be joining us for the first time this weekend... Uh, as you look into the first century, there was a custom that um, basically was this. It was a status symbol. If you had the smaller the table that you sat at, uh, the more exclusive, the more VIP that you were. Uh, so the fewer people that you associated with, the smaller the table, uh, the more exclusive that you were. The larger the table that you sat at, the more seats that were there, the more common or unimportant that you were viewed in, in society. And so what people were doing were they were trying to sit at these exclusive small tables. And Jesus comes onto the scene, and Luke records around 20 different times where Jesus is eating, interacting at the table with all kinds of people. And quite frankly, the tables that he sat at, for the most part, were large tables. They were open tables. And he was criticized for this. He was criticized because he would interact with sinners and with people outside the faith. And, and, and they even questioned, the religious establishment questioned Jesus about this, this open table concept. And, uh, and, and they first see it in Luke's Gospel chapter 5 as, as we read about his interaction with Levi, who we know is Matthew, who wrote the first book of the New Testament. Uh, Levi, this tax collector, this sinner, this outsider, and uh, Levi throws this huge party with all of his sinner buddies and tax collecting buddies and, and others, the Bible says, all these imperfect people. And the religious establishment, they question Jesus. And they say, uh, why are you sitting? Why are you at such an open table? Why are you associating yourself with sinners and with tax collectors and people outside the faith? And Jesus answers them in Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Is it not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? He goes on in verse 32. He says, I've come not to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners to repentance. Which means it's not just about associating with people that are far away from God or outside the faith, but it's about living life in such a way that you allow the Holy Spirit to do His work of convicting and drawing uh, those people to a relationship with Christ. But you as a Christ follower must be in proximity so that you can let your light shine. And so Jesus kind of espouses this open table mission. So from Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, all the way to 14, he is sitting at various tables. And the largest table that he sat at was the feeding of the 5,000. Because the religious establishment of the day would have never done a full-blown potluck. I mean, it was just, they were too important, too VIP to do that. They would have brought someone in to do it, and the church might have provided it, but they're not going to be a part of it. And so Jesus has done all of these things. And what we find in Luke chapter 14, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but the first six verses, Jesus is invited on the Sabbath to have lunch at the, uh, at the home of the, of the head Pharisee, the head religious leader of the day, and his counterparts. And so basically the religious establishment of Jerusalem in essence. And he's invited to this meal. Now, for lack of a better, uh, if you give me a little theological leeway here, um, it's Sunday, it's the pastor. Uh, and it's all of the, 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 the denominational leaders, and they're all inviting Jesus over for lunch. And if, it, and if I'm telling the story, it's going to be fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, 
fried corn, fried okra. Are you getting the fried theme here yet? And, and, and biscuits, right? Mama, don't burn the biscuits. That's what it would be. It would be probably, I'm in a banana pudding mood right now. I'm craving that for some reason. Just a thought, if you make it, I'll give you my address after service. So even if you're at the West Campus. So here's the deal. So he's invited to lunch. And it's really kind of an awkward lunch because they're really wanting to try to find out why and what and his mission and this whole open table thing is really an underlying thing. And Jesus is going to blow this up in just a minute in a positive way. And uh, he's there and, and in comes a sick man. So he's a man that the King James Version says he had dropsy. If you read the message translation, he had swollen joints. Okay, so he, he's, he's physically visually in pain, uh, arthritic at, at a very high level in essence. He's very slow to, for mobility, if anything at all. Um, and so he, it's, it's very evident this man or this person is in, is in need of, of healing or medical attention. Now what's interesting is, is, is that, again, because of the exclusivity of the religious establishment, these individuals would not have anything to do with this sick individual. Matter of fact, the sick, the lame, the blind... They weren't even allowed to come into the sanctuary. They could sit in the outer courts, but they couldn't come into the inner courts because there was this whole thing about you have to be perfect kind of a deal. And we know that God requires perfection, but that you and I are not perfect. So Jesus Christ comes and he dies for our sins and he covers our imperfections. He who, know, who, who knew no sin became sin for us, that he could die on the cross in our place, and his blood that he shed on Calvary's cross covers our sin. So when God looks upon us, he doesn't see our imperfections, but he sees the perfection of his own son, Jesus. Well, this is prior to Jesus' death on the cross, and so these men have, are very much kind of at, at a Heisman length, if you would, from this sick man. So I think my own th- theology on this would be that they probably planted this guy to come into the room, because they would have never had this. They would have ousted him out because he would have been an embarrassment and outcast. But they let him come in, and they don't say anything. And they just want to see what Jesus is going to do with them. And so Jesus looks at these guys. Now, I'm just going to tell you, when we get to heaven, there'll be a heavenly IMAX. You do realize that, right? So if you don't like movies, sorry, um, hate, but it's going to happen. And um, where do you know that? That's in Hezekiah 3.5. And so anyhow, it's, it's there, and there's going to be this heavenly. And this is one of those ones that I want to see. I'm just going to tell you, like, there's a couple of, like, scenes I want to see. This is one of those. Because it doesn't give us what Jesus' facial expressions were. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think they are. Is that all right? You can write it. If when you want to preach, you can go up here and tell it the way you want to tell it. But since I'm up here, I'm going to tell it the way I want to tell it because I think it's good. I, there's a lot of in here. So anyhow, I think Jesus is looking like, are you serious? You're going to let this sick man come in here? And Jesus basically says to, him, to these religious leaders, what are you going to do about this? Can I heal this guy? Now think about the man who's asking the question, the son of man, Jesus himself. This is the one who in the book of Genesis... And the formless void of darkness spoke the stars into the sky and spoke the creation to existence. This is not a big deal for him. But this theologically messes up, jacks up these religious leaders. Because according to the rules of the Sabbath, of the Levitical law of the Old Testament, you couldn't do any kind of work. But this is no work for the Savior. They don't respond. Silence. Just crickets. I mean, there's nothing going on in the room. Let me give you a parenthetical thought here that's not in my notes. Silence is never neutral. Silence is never neutral. I didn't say anything. 
Yeah, I use that a whole lot in your silence. And in their silence, they basically are going, look, we're not going to get in the middle of this. We just want to see what you're going to do because we've got some theological quandaries if you get in the middle of this. Jesus looks at them and says, be healed. Instantly. The man's swollen joint, arthritic condition is gone. And he walks out of the room. Jesus doesn't lift a finger. Technically, according to the law, he didn't violate the law. He, he just had such power in his words. Silence. Jesus looks in the room. And again, this is where Luke doesn't give us a description of what he looks like. This is where I wish they had like smartphones because somebody could have planted it in the room, right? Like you see on television when they're like trying to get somebody to say something they're not supposed to say. And, um, and so they planted that. But, so we don't know. But I just think Jesus kind of looked at these guys like, seriously? You're going to invite me to lunch and nobody's going to talk to me. Okay, I'll fill the void because silence isn't neutral, so I'm going to speak up. And that's where we pick it up in verse number seven. Jesus basically responds with the theology of this open table. Look at it. He noticed how the guests picked their places of honor at the table, and then he told them a parable, which is a story with meaning. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may may have been invited. Verse 9. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat, then you'll be humiliated. You'll have to take the seat of least importance. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Now, verse 11 gives us the moral of the, of the story of the parable. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the first tenet of this theology of the open table is that where you sit reveals the character of humility in your life. Where you sit reveals the character of humility in your life. Let me say that one more time. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Where you sit reveals the character of humility in your life. Jesus is watching these guys, these religious leaders, and he's watching how they position themselves in the room, how they power play in the room, how where they sit speaks. And where you, where you sit speaks. If you're in the driver's seat, you're in the passenger seat, you're in the back seat, it speaks. In the boardroom, if you're at the head of the table, or if you're just marginalized to be able just to sit over by the refreshments in the side of the boardroom, it speaks. Where you sit, the view from where you sit, it all speaks. All of it speaks. And the reality is, is Jesus is saying to them, look, guys, in this open table concept, If you've got to be about yourself, if it's got to be about your power, if it's got to be about your position, if it's got to be about your title, you're missing it. You sit at these small exclusive tables in order to give yourself this pat on the back, this arrogance, this pride about who you are and what you are. And you constantly have to announce that. You constantly have to communicate that. When the reality is, is that the table that I've prepared, Jesus said, is a place where anybody can sit anywhere they want to sit. And where you sit doesn't matter because God loves us all. God cares for us all. And God ultimately is the one that brings increase. God's ultimately the one that brings promotion. The Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west. This would be Old Testament, so these guys would have known that. But from heaven above. But you act like promotion. You act like power comes from you. Who gave you the power that you have? Who gave you the promotion that you have? Who gave you the position that you have it's God and when he's done with you he will take you down no questions no comments it's what he's saying to these guys and it's the same thing for us today in the religious establishment of the church if we're not careful we think where we sit has great importance we think that somehow God loves us more than he loves the pimp and the prostitute in the inner city 
We think that somehow God loves you or I more than he loves someone that's incarcerated. We think that God loves us a little bit more because we've been serving him a little bit longer. We think that God loves our sweet grandmother, God bless her soul, more than he loves the drunk that's at the bar this morning that's already intoxicated. And the Bible says no. For God so loved you and I that he gave. God cannot love you any more or any less. You can't do anything to make him love you more. You can't do anything to get more of his attention. You can't do anything to to do that. At the same time, you can't do anything to run away from the love of God. You can't do anything to, to marginalize his love. David said in the Old Testament, if I ascend to the heavens, God, you are there. And if I make my bed in the very pit of hell, there you are also. It's not about power. It's not about your seat at the table. It's not about you. It's about him. He must increase so I can decrease. I must decrease so he can increase. Religion is all about control. It's all about power. It's all about politics. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Religion tries to control man. Religion tries to, try, tries, to, tries to marginalize. Religion wants to put you into a box. And Jesus said, I didn't come for religion. I came for relationship. I didn't come to establish a physical church. I came to set people free internally from the inside out. And so sit wherever you want to sit. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And these guys are still wrangling for power in where they're sitting, not even understanding anything that's going on. Again, no response. Just crickets. Just chirps of crickets. You didn't know there were crickets in Jerusalem, did you? Well, there were. Look at verse 12. So then Jesus said to the host, I mean, Jesus is all up in the kitchen. He is pulling no punches. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, just like you're doing right now, don't invite your friends, brothers, sisters, relatives, or your rich neighbors, just like you did. If you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. So all you guys need to know that you're all going to invite these guy, this guy over and be repaid. Verse 13, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. See, these people weren't even allowed to come into the sanctuary. They weren't allowed to, to even sit with these guys. And you will, be re- you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So he says, look, guys, with whom you sit reveals the character of generosity. It's the next tenet of this theology of the open table. With whom you sit reveals the character of generosity or the lack thereof. If the only people that you sit with are people that have the ability ability to reciprocate your kindness or reciprocate your generosity or give back to you, what good is it? You really have only helped yourself. But if you're at a table where you're blessing people and where you're opening the door to people that nobody else wants... That nobody else wants to sit at. It's kind of like being in high school again. You're in the lunchroom. Who's sitting by themselves? That's who he's talking about. In life, who's sitting by themselves? Who are the marginalized people? Who, who are the downtrodden? Who are the brokenhearted? Who are the people that nobody else wants to be around? Who are the people that feel alone and in despair? When you reach out to those people and they don't have the ability to repay you, that, that's what the open table is all about. Jesus is communicating them. You've been watching me sit with sinners and with publicans and, and with tax collectors and with prostitutes and, 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 and all these different environments. And you're thinking to yourself, what good are these people doing me? They're not doing me any good. I'm doing them the good. 
I'm giving them something they have not the ability to give back to me. I'm giving them something they have not the ability to repay to me. I am investing in them life that they cannot have on their own. And he's saying to this religious group of people, that's what you're supposed to do. You're the representative of God the Father to his nation. But yet you strong arm these people and you polarize these people and you push the very people away that God came to love. And you have your small, little, exclusive, closed table. And Jesus said, no. No, true, true open table, true table of God is a character of where generosity is displayed, where everybody is welcome. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you have the ability to give or you don't have the ability to give, where everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. Isn't that what we teach our kids? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, right? But we don't practice that as adults. Because we really don't believe that he loves red, yellow, black, and white, and everybody's precious in his sight. Well, you just don't, it's a little more complicated than that, Aaron. Is it really? I mean... The, the prejudice that exists today existed in that day and time. The issues that existed there existed here. These people would not be seen with people that were sinners because they've thought that bad company corrupts good morals. And that's a, that's a proverb from the Old Testament, but they're taking it completely out of context, which is what we do all the time. Come out from the world and be you separate. So that means we need to ostracize the world in which we live in? No. Does that mean we need to sit in our own holy huddle and just kumbaya together and be a bunch of navel-gazing Christians and say to hell with the world? No. But how many times do we do that? A lot. We get on our soapbox and we talk about how righteous and pure we are. And the only people that we invite to the table are the people that can help our cause. And everybody else, forget you. That's what Jesus is dealing with. See, this isn't a new problem. This is, this is humanity. And he says, look, at this open table, who you invite to the table, it reveals the character of generosity. Or if you live in the land of stingy, if you live in the land of I, me, and mine, what's good for me? And at this point, you have to understand, there is a ton of tension in the room. Because Jesus, he holds no prisoners. He just goes for the juggler. I mean, this is like MMA, takedown. I mean, this is just, he's got these guys. Now, this is the best part of this story to me. It's not the most deepest part. It's just the pivotal point where I really, I want to see this. Like, I want to see God play this on the heavenly IMAX. Because there's so much tension in the room, there's a guy that finally says he needs to say something to kind of break the tension. You ever been there where it's just like, it's really, it's awkward, right? Feedback, awkward, right? It's just one of those moments. And so he comes in, look at verse 15, and this is what he says. Then one of those at the table who heard this said to Jesus, I gotta say it the way he would say it, this is funny. He just says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Can you see that? See, Blessed is the one who eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. What the heck is he talking about? I've been thinking about that all week long. He is crazy. I mean, that, he, that's, that's just stupid. Like, it makes no sense. Like, here Jesus is going to town talking about humility and, and love and generosity. And then you got this one spiritual religious guy who says, Well, bless God, won't it be all better by and by when we get to heaven? Will you please pass the mashed potatoes? Seriously? You got, you know, God can fix a lot of things, but he can't fix stupid. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this is just like, 
And this is where I wish there was a, like a zoom in on Jesus' face. Like, really? Do I need to get some crayons and some picture pages for you, for you religious leaders at this point? That's what he's thinking. This is one of those Jack Nicholson's you can't handle the truth moments. I mean, this is one of those real tense deals. And Jesus takes it from the sweet by and by what this guy's trying to do. Because what, here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to divert the conversation. He goes, you know, we've got problems in this world and there are issues in this world. But, you know, when we get to heaven, it'll all be resolved. And Jesus is trying to say, you don't understand The kingdom of God is not somewhere out there in the sweet by and by. It's here. You need to understand that there are real lives that are at stake and that what you're doing in your life is actually standing in the way of people coming to faith in God. And what you're doing has real eternal consequences. And you're playing games with people's lives. And you're going to stand account and you're going to stand in judgment for what you have said and what you do. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge this guy. He just takes it from the sweet by and by to the dirty here and now, and he goes to another parable. Look, this guy says this, verse 16. Jesus replies. Now, between that end of verse 15 to verse 16, I think Jesus looked at him like, you stupid idiot. I really do. I mean, maybe you don't think so. God loves everybody, yes, but he does get angry, and we see it in Scripture. The Bible says, just in your anger, sin not. That's what James says. So you can get angry, just don't sin. Jesus didn't sin, but, you know, okay. I really messed up some people's theology there. But look what he says. A certain man was preparing a great banquet. So he goes right into another story with meaning and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent to his servants to tell everyone who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Verse 18. So they all began to make excuses. Ever felt like this? You invite somebody to church to make excuses? And the excuses are really stupid, aren't they? Like these. Look at this. Verse 18. I bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. I just bought a house. I'm going to go take a look at it. Stupid, right? If you don't think that's stupid, some of you are way too spiritual. God wouldn't think something stupid. No, that's just stupid. That's what he's saying right there. It's just stupid. If that was in the nearly inspired version, Jesus would say, you stupid idiot, okay? Verse number 19. And again, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. I just bought a car. I'm going to go test drive it. Loser. I'm just telling you. It's right there. And still another said, verse 20, I just got married so I can't come. Maybe he's got a good reason. I'm not even going to go right there. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Maybe he's been single for a long time. Lord Jesus, don't come today. All right. Verse 21. The servant came back and reported to his master, and the owner of the house became angry. Who's the owner of the house in the story? It's God. So the emotion of anger is not wrong. It's what you do with it. So he ordered his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the alleys in the town and bring in who? The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. The same people Jesus has been talking about, the outsiders, the outcasts, people outside the walls of the church. Sir, the servant said, what you've been ordered has been done, but there's still room. I want you to look at verse 23 and 24. This is huge theology, especially for the church. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them, bring them in, bust them in, do whatever you have to do so that why my house may be full. See, the pastor's not the only one that wants a full house. God does. I tell you, not one of those who were invited, which were the people at the beginning of the banquet, will get a taste of my banquet. And with this, Jesus gets up from the table, walks out. He's communicated some of the last tenets of his theology of the open table. Everyone is invited to the open table. Everyone. Everyone's invited to the open table. 
He's saying to these religious leaders, it's not just you, it's not just people with certain spiritual pedigree, it's not people with money, it's not people that look nice and talk nice and play games, it's anybody and everybody. The poor, the sick, the lame, the outcast, the downtrodden, everybody's invited. Everybody's welcome. Everybody has an invitation. And, and, and here's the deal, as long as there's a seat that's open, God's going to pursue people to come and sit at the table. And if you don't want to sit at the table, he's not going to run after you and beg you. Contrary to popular American theology, when someone leaves the church, you don't just go, oh, please, please come back. No, if you need to go somewhere else, go somewhere else. That didn't originate with Aaron Cole. That's New Testament. The rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what do I, must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, give everything that you have to the poor. And the Bible says he drops his head because he can't allow himself to do that. And he walks away. Does Jesus run after him? No. Because every man and woman are free moral agents. They're not rock'em, sock'em robots that are cosmically controlled from some heavenly joystick. You have a choice and I have a choice. And everybody's welcome. But if you choose not to be a part, okay, somebody else is going to fill the seat. Mm, I'm preaching good on that one. Now, I didn't grow up in a church like that. I grew up in a church where, well... You, first of all, you've got to believe. So before you come to our service, we need to know that you've had a full confession of faith. Anybody else grow up in church like that? Don't raise your hands. Don't. It's not nice. And then we're going to make you behave, right? So I'm back, back in that day, that's what the 80s. So I had the vanilla ice hairdo with the little slits on the side and the, right? Anybody else? Party in the front. I mean, party in the back. Business in the front, right? Had a mullet. Seriously. So I could bite it. I mean, it was long. And Yeah. Some of you, don't look at me like this. Go to Walmart after 9 o'clock, you will see it. Anyhow, I almost said the name of the town you can go to too, but I caught myself on that one. I'm on Washington County, Waukesha. Y'all a little more refined than we are in Washington County. But anyhow, so the reality is, so I mean, it was like, hey, cut your hair, you know, you can't have long hair in church. Jesus had long hair, but we're not going to deal with that. And you got to dress different, and you got, and then, and that back then we had records, so you don't know what record is, I don't have time to explain that theology to you, but so we had, you know, Burn Your Iron Maiden albums, and your ACDC, and Van Halen, dun, 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 you're going to hell for that, the fact that you know that, and so it was all of that, right? And, and, and. So then you begin to, you believe, then you behave, you act like a good Christian person should act because there's a certain look, then we're going to show you the picture and do all of that. And then, and then you're going to belong to the club. That's how it was. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Contrary, mon frere, here's the bottom line. Everybody's invited to the table. Why? Because they're children of God. Now, whether they accept or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's between them and God. And I can see some of you deep theologians, you, you law people, y'all are thinking, well, but man, there's a price to pay and you got to get you saved. Yes. We're not talking about going to heaven or hell. We're talking about having an opportunity to hear the gospel. Everybody gets an opportunity to hear the gospel. Everybody gets invited to the table. Everybody, regardless if you believe, you behave, whatever, we, you belong. And so at Life Church, we say, look, we welcome you. If you disagree with us, that's fine. If you don't believe everything, that's okay. We welcome you to come and hear the message. And because it's not us that changes you, it's Jesus. And unless the Holy Spirit draws you, you're not going to get changed anyhow. And Jesus didn't call me to be a cleaner of the fish. He called me to be a fisher of men. So my responsibility is to fish for men. My responsibility is to live my life in such a way that it is, it's attractive to people that are far away from God. They go, there's something about peace. There's something about joy. There's something about this. 
that I want. My responsibility as a pastor is to preach this gospel and let the gospel do the heavy lifting. We're going to talk about that next weekend. We try to help God out so much. God doesn't need your help or my help. All he needs for us is just to be in love with him and to follow him and to live for the audience of one. And don't worry about what other people are doing, what other people are saying, what other people are thinking, how they act, how they dress, whatever. And and understand that when you do it the way Jesus did, you're going to attract criticism. He was criticized. We will be criticized. The religious establishment criticized him. They will will criticize you if you live life like Jesus. It's just the way it is. So the bottom line is everybody belongs. And then you come in, and what will happen is, is by you just being around, you begin to go, I want to change some things. Nobody has to tell you what to change. You begin to change the way you walk, the way you talk, what you say, what you do, what you don't do. And then you'll believe. That's what Jesus is saying. So, Aaron, are you saying if you're invited to church, you're going to go to heaven? No. No, if you're going to misquote me, I'm going to give you something to misquote, okay? Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you're sitting in this room doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Everybody understands that. If you go to Pizza Hut, does it automatically make you a pizza? No. Going to Taco Bell, does it make you a chalupa? No. Going to McDonald's, does it make you a Big Mac filet of fish, quarter pounder, french fries, he coke, thick shake, Sunday or apple pie? No. So just because you sit at the table doesn't mean that you're saved, but it means that you get a chance to sit with the master, with Jesus, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and allow him to do the work that only he can do. And whether you accept or reject, that's between you and God. See, I don't stand to account on what you do with what I say. I do stand to account for every word that I say. So if you think I play loose and fast with theology, just understand I'm going to stand before him and he will judge me for two things. He will judge me as a follower of Jesus Christ and as a person first. Secondly, he will judge me based upon the position of pastor and teacher. And if I've miscommunicated the scripture to you, I will stand in judgment of God for that. I know it's heavy, isn't it? I like to go sell insurance right now. I'm just saying, it's just one of those things. Everybody's invited, though. There are no empty seats at the open table. Jesus said, look, they're all going to be filled. Do you understand that the heart of God is that his church, his bride, is growing and flourishing and that the seats are filled? Why? Because it's people hearing the message. It's people being invited to the table. It's, the love. it's not about exclusivity. It's about this open table where anybody and everybody can come. And the good news is, is this is happening in our world. There are more people that are being saved, that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ today than ever have in the history of humanity. That's statistically true. That's factually true. There are more lives that are being changed today. The church of Jesus Christ is growing at a rampant pace faster than it's ever grown. But those churches that are in decline in America are growing in decline, if that makes sense. They're declining faster than they've ever declined. And the, and the divide between the growing, vibrant church of Jesus Christ and the dead church of Jesus Christ, that divide is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And God's desire for his church is that it's a place where everybody's welcome. Where everybody gets to sit and gets to feast upon the word of God. And what they choose to do with it is up to them. And the last thing that he says by this parable is that the dinner guests come from everywhere to the open table. The dinner guests come from everywhere at the open table. The seats are filled with all kinds. That's the kind of church he wants. 
That's the reason why we invite everybody. You welcome everybody. Because the reality is, is that that's, what, that's the heart of God. God delights. And we go, well, you just don't understand. No, I'm telling you, the same prejudices that we deal with today, contextually, they dealt with in the first century, and they've been around. There's just this, this, this deal. And there's social strife, and there's racial strife, and there's economic strife, and there's educational strife, and academic strife, and there's all of these issues. And you know the reason why we don't want to deal with it? Because it's messy and it's complicated. That's the reason why they didn't want to deal with it in the verse. They, they want to keep their table small because they can control it. But you and I don't serve a God that you can put in a box. That's our problem. I know we in the upper Midwest like everything very neat, very timely, very concise. Don't serve Jesus. Because if that's what you want, serve religion. You'll go to hell, but at least you'll have the conciseness and the control that you want. But if you're going to serve Jesus, it means that every day is an adventure. It means that every conversation is an opportunity where God may show up. It may mean in the middle of your day when you are most inconvenienced that God sends someone along your path that you really don't have time for, that you really aren't, they're not able to reciprocate to you and help you, and he brings across your path to minister to them. And it has no perceived value to you in the moment. It, but that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's dirty. It's messy. It's complicated. You're going to be criticized. You're going to be maligned. We don't like to hear this in the church in America. We like to have music the way we want it. We like to have lighting the way we want it. We like to have preaching the way we want it. We're a consumeristic world. And I'm not preaching against that. I'm the same way with you. I, there are certain things I like a certain way. I love Burger King. My way right away now. You know what I'm talking about? The problem is, is to follow Jesus, you don't get to do that. The world behind me, the cross before me. Do you live that or are you just singing on Sunday? No turning back. Do you live that or is that just a Sunday morning anthem that you do just to make yourself feel good for a little while? See, that's the repentance that Jesus came to preach. Oh, the, the gospel's true, folks. It, it, he pulls no punches. Everybody's welcome to the table, but the meat and the potatoes, they're served up pretty much hot and fresh. And, and, and you've got to decide whether you're going to partake of it or not. But the reality is, is that to follow him is complicated and messy. It will cost you everything. But one moment on the other side of eternity, it will be worth it all. I love what Paul the Apostle says. Today, this side of eternity, I see in part and I know in part. But one moment on the other side, it'll all make sense. This side, it's called faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Do you know the Bible says that you're more blessed because you follow Jesus when you didn't personally get to meet him the way they did in the first century? I'm telling you, one moment on the other side, it'll make sense. It'll all come together. You can close the loop. So today, as we end, I just have, I just want to just ask this, two things. One, if you're far away from God, are you seated at his table? 
Are you ready to give your life to him? Because if you are, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, that you will be saved. It's not about a special prayer that you pray. It's about believing the words that are coming out of your mouth and your heart. Jesus, I'm a sinner. You are my Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Because there's a difference between salvation and condemnation. Salvation is what Jesus Christ came to give us. John 3, 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Condemnation is something that sin does to you. Condemnation is something the devil does to you. Condemnation is a perverted salvationary tool of the church to make you feel horrible about yourself. No, 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 no. Jesus came to save you. Look, everybody in this room that's not following Christ, you know how jacked up you are. You don't need me up here to stand up here and point out your sins. Because right now your heart's beating about 90 beats a minute and it's escalating. And you're thinking, was that that burrito I had this morning or what is this? And your palms are sweaty and you're blaming the time going, well, it's getting close to noon. I need to leave. No, 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 no. That's called conviction power of the Holy Spirit. He's doing exactly what Revelation 3 says. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart right now and he's knocking at the door of your heart. The question is, are you going to answer the door? I'm telling you, there's somebody in this room, you're a young man, and you are on the verge of making one of the biggest decisions of your life. And right now, for no other reason, God has brought you here to this place, and he is knocking right now. And everything that I'm saying is resonating with you like I am in in Dolby High Def in your head. It is echoing through the very chambers of, of your ears. And it's God, it's the Holy Spirit saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Not to join Life Church, not to follow Aaron, but to follow Jesus. And if that's you, make the decision in just a minute when I ask you to pray a prayer with me that you'll pray that prayer with me. I'm telling you, there's a young man in this room. I could point you out in this room. It is you and for no other reason has God stopped the service just to say, I'm reading your mail right now. For those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, what about your open table? Life is like a table. Does it speak of humility or does it speak of pride and arrogance? Again, you don't need me. You don't need me to be all up in your business. But you know whether you're walking in humility or whether you're walking in arrogance. Whether it's all about a power play or if it's really about following Jesus. Does it speak of generosity or do you live in the land of stingy? Some of you live in the land of stingy. You own several houses in the land of stingy. And, and that's your problem. It's all about you. And you've got all your classic excuses Everybody wants my money. If people really wanted money, they'd work and they'd do for it. If people really didn't want to be poor, they'd get out of poverty. They really No, they wouldn't. They need you. And he's speaking to your heart. Does, 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 is everyone invited to your table? Or do you have an exclusive table? Do you have the cool table? Are you worried about what, how are people going to feel and look at you and your life, your business, your whatever, by the people that sit at your table? Or do you really live life for the audience of one? Are there empty seats at your table? Maybe you need to leave your table and go to that person sitting by themselves and bring them in and do that. I think everybody that's a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to be involved in people that are far away from Christ in order to share the love of Jesus. And the people that are coming to your table, where are they coming from? Are they just friends? Just other good Christian buddies? And again, I think it's great to have great Christian relationships and all of that, but at the end of the day, who are you around to share the love of Christ? You are the salt of the world. You're a city set on a hill. 
And if there's no darkness, what good is your light? If, 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 if you're no longer being salty then, and, and you don't flavor anything in your world, then what good is your salt but to be thrown down on the streets and trampled? That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He's here right now and he's knocking on the door of your heart. Would you bow your head and close your eyes at me today, everyone in this room? Father, I just come before you in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for the presence and for the person of the Holy Spirit that is in this room right now. And you are speaking to our hearts. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we have opened up your word and we have read it today and we've allowed it to soak in and we've allowed it to speak to our hearts and our lives because your word is living and breathing. John chapter one, verse one says that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That's you, Jesus. Jesus, your word says, we're two or more gathered together in your name. There you are in the midst. You're here right now. You're at the West Campus right now. There are people that are watching online all across this nation and around the world, and you are here with us right now. So I just pray, do your work. Do your messy work in our lives. We surrender ourselves to you. Those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we surrender ourselves. Get in our kitchen, break our pride, and let us be humble. And God, forgive us for our lack of humility as a people and as a church and as a pastor. God, get in our lives and break our stingy, uh, uh, self-righteous actions and let us be a people of extreme generosity, not just by our financial giving, but by our love and by our care and by our concern. Let us be a people, oh God. Let us be a church where the doors are open, where the table is open, and where whosoever is able to come in, we are willing to help and assist the poor and the blind and the lame. That's who you came for. Oh God, forgive us for our self-righteous, holy huddle kumbaya ways. And let us be a church and a people that just follow you with the reckless abandon. And Lord, I pray, let us not fold like a cheap suit when the religious critics of our day judge us, because they will, not for our theology, but for our methodology. Lord, we know that the message is sacred and we never change that. But getting the message out, Lord, you just said to go. And how we do that, as long as it doesn't, as long as it's not immoral, legal, or sinful, it's fair game. Now, I... With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to end this time today. And you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to give your life to Christ, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And praying a prayer won't save you, but if you believe the prayer that you're about to save, what's going to happen is, according to God's word, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, you, Jesus will come into your heart and come into your life. You're that young man and you're in this room and this is your time to say, Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life. And I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus... Come into my heart. Come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. I am a sinner and I hear you knocking on the door of my heart and I invite you to come in and to forgive me of my sins. Just say that. Forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from my mistakes and my unrighteousness. And I give you my life today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for what you're doing, and we ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.